what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. Across the table from me is Chris. Hello, everyone. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing really well. It's Friday. It's movie season it's during the summer, so a lot of good stuff out. So it's hot exciting. outside, and it's nice and cool inside the movie theater. Absolutely. So that's, uh, that's the plan for several days we've got coming up here in the next uh, few weeks of summer that we've got. Why so, know the yard when you can go sit in the <laughs> That's right. Why not just let the yard just keep growing that's right. and blossoming and <laughs> blooming, and you can go see some movies and catch up with the yard work maybe when it gets to be fall. Right. You know, just one big swoop. You can just kind of <laughs> cut it all back again. So exactly. uh, if only, if only, Chris. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned summer, that is a little bit of a theme for part of our review mm-hmm. and that we are going to be reviewing today in our episode one big summer blockbuster movie. But then we're going to switch gears and review a film that's probably the farthest end of a summer blockbuster movie. First, we're going to review Spider-Man Homecoming, which is the latest Marvel and Sony collaboration on The Wall Crawler, the latest version starring Tom Holland. Then we're going to switch gears and talk about a film called Norman. And let me make sure I've got the subtitle correct, because this (laughs) has a very long subtitle. Norman, The Moderate Rise and Tragic Fall of a New York Fixer, starring Richard Gere. So we're going to be discussing that film as our second review. After that, we'll hit a couple of movie news items just to get some uh, notes on the table and see what we have to say about some of the uh, film productions we're hearing about. And then we'll cap off the review or the episode with our recommendation of the episode. That's when you and I both provide one film that we feel like, hey, you know what? You're trying to stay inside. You're trying to stay cool out of the summer heat. What's a film you can pull up on iTunes or Amazon or something we think is worth checking out? that either we stumbled across recently or have just been reminded of uh, before this recording. So, Chris, that's our plan. That's the agenda. Everything sound good? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's get started then. So into our first review, which is Spider-Man Homecoming. Finally, here we go. Good evening, Peter. Cool. You have 576 possible web shooter combinations. That is awesome. <laughs> I can keep that suit? Yeah, doesn't fit me. What's our next retreat? What, next mission? We'll call you. All right. That's not a hug. I'm just grabbing the door for you. I'm oh, not there yet. All right, kid. Good luck out there. This is my chance to prove myself. We have a Spanish quiz. You got to get better at this part of the job. I don't understand. Oh, I'm intimidated. What are you hiding, Peter? So even in recent history, mm-hmm. um, with all the superhero movies, people get tired of reboots or you know, reimaginings. Spider-Man, we had three Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire. They were, those were the Sam Raimi the movies. The Sam Raimi movies. There was the Sam Raimi trilogy. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sam Raimi trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, people are hot and cold on those. Then we had the Andy Garfield, uh, just, we got two movies. So it was like, we had three, then we had two. Two. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the Um, Andrew Garfield directed by, uh, Mark Webb, which 
I'm sorry. That should have worked out because his last <laughs> because his last name's Webb. It should have been perfect. But anyway. which I liked the first one of the I Garfield, did. and then the second one kind of went off the rails. I really liked the first one of the reboot. I know a lot of people had problems with it, but I thought it was actually really good. It's probably before this review, and maybe still after this review, it's <laughs> probably my favorite of the okay. five Spider-Man movies that have been produced so far. So, and now we have Spider-Man: Homecoming, directed by John Watts, who yes. Also directed Cop Car recently. We did we review Cop Car uh, probably last year sometime. I think so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see a, a trend of three, two, and now one. Alan, do you think uh, with this film, Spider-Man Homecoming, do you think John Watts has something to worry about? Do you think he'll, you know, not direct another movie after this or not direct another Spider-Man movie? Or depending on how this one went, do you think they'll bring him back? All right. Well, okay. So the question you're asking me is is one I, I have to tie more to box office performance. Ah, so let me just couch to how it with you that. feel about it. Okay, yes, sure. So I would say from a box office performance standpoint, it's doing really, really good. It's getting really good reviews in general for a superhero movie. And yes, he's locked in. He's he's going to be directing the next film. Um, there's absolutely no doubt about it at this point. I think they've already started planning. I'm sure they've already started doing something to get ready for it. And then Tom Holland, who is our new Spider-Man, will absolutely be brought he's, back again. He's locked in. He's locked do you, in. Do you know if they, um, just a quick aside, do you know if they have locked him in, like, you know, Christian Bale signed on to do a certain number of Batman movies? Do you know if, mm-hmm. if Tom Holland has said, like, I'm going to do, or he, like, contractually, he's going to do at least three of these? Do we know? Um, I don't know for sure. The only thing I've heard is the gentleman who is basically over all the Marvel films, Kevin yep. Feige has gone on record in an interview saying that Tom Holland's arc as Spider-Man is already written out as five movies, huh. but not to say five Spider-Man movies, just he is going to, his storyline takes be a him, main character. In five. He will be featured in five movies okay. as a bigger storyline of his character. Now does, that doesn't count civil war or does, I don't know if it does or not. Okay. So, you know, he may already be two films in, we don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But they're definitely counting on him for the long haul. I think when you've got a film that, is raked in more money than they expected it to make this first opening weekend hmm. and is getting reviews better than average for a superhero movie. That's kind of a recipe you don't mess with. It's like, you got to keep that going. Right. Okay. So box office wise. Yeah. They're all set to go. <laughs> you're asking me though. I think more intentionally, I think you're asking me my opinion of the film. Sure. Let me just, I, I feel like a broken record. Cause I think I said the same exact thing when we reviewed the other Spider-Man movies that came out with Mm -hmm. Andrew Garfield. I'm a Spider-Man geek. Okay. I'm just laying it out there. I've got boxes of old Spider-Man comics in my basement. He is my favorite superhero. Uh, Batman's a close second, but it's still Mm Spider-Man. He's the one I grew up with. He's the one I read as a kid. He's the one I wanted to be when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 years old. Fair enough. So I'm very, that puts me in an interesting position, Chris, in that, I both get excited about these films when they come out, all of them, but I'm also probably the most critical of them because you really know the source. Material. I do. And also I know how the character should be handled hmm. to make it work, you know? So let me just, I'm going to get to my opinion in a second. I promise, but just give me like, <laughs> give me one or two minutes to geek out for a minute. Sure. The Sam Raimi trilogy with, um, Toby Maguire. Maguire were good films. Well, the first two third one was a mess. Sure. But the first two were good films. The second one with uh, Alfred Molina yeah, as Doctor was Octopus. the best of the three. It was a really good, made, well-made movie. 
My problem with all three of those films is I just thought Tobey Maguire was horrible as both Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Okay. He had no personality, none of the sense of humor that is what you get from the Spider-Man character, none of the real insecurities that you're supposed to have with Peter Parker. I never really felt like Peter Parker had it really that bad off, you know, okay. as, a, as, a, as a teenager in, the, in a high school environment. So it just never worked. I just never got any sense of real emotion from him. So I was already muted on all three of those films because I just didn't care for the lead actor. I thought the directing was fine. I thought the, the, the villain in the second movie was really good. I thought there were some great moments throughout the trilogy. But overall, I don't, I don't see that as Spider-Man. Okay. Then you had the two uh, Mark Webb films that came out. And I really liked the first one because I thought Andrew Garfield was a whole lot closer to what Spider-Man ought to be. He's cracking jokes. He has a real light sense of humor when he's in the, under the mask. When he's not under the mask, he's a little more tormented. He's a little more self-conscious. He's got a lot of personal issues going on. I thought it was a lot closer to where it should be. Okay. So I really liked that movie. Then the second one came out, and it was a mess. They just threw everything that made the first one good out the door and just made a bloated, huge superhero mess. Right. Okay. So here we are. I'm here back, we are. back to where we are now. Okay. So. I will say on the record, I really liked Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay. And I'll tell you, there's a couple reasons why I like it. Number one, first and foremost, Tom Holland, he's got it. He nailed it. I would agree. He nailed Peter Parker. He nailed Spider-Man. Spider-Man is funny and aloof acting. Although, you know, under the mask, he's also self-conscious and he's also worried and he's also got a lot of things on his mind. You've got that balance going on. And I think he played it perfectly in both sides. Okay. So even if I hated the rest of the movie, I would say <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing this saga continue with him in the main role. Fair enough. I think there were some other elements of the film that were good. I don't think the film was great. I do think there were some things I was, could have been handled better. Hmm. Um, and I can get into those in a minute. Most of them are pretty big areas for me. A couple are a little nitpicky, but overall I will say this was a really fun movie. We needed a good, fun superhero movie, I felt like. If you're going to do superhero movies, have one with a good sense of humor. Have one that can play a little irreverent. Um, And I think the fact that it was all high school-based settings made a big difference, too. Helps it be irreverent. It did. It helps helps make it be different. You're not going to have the heaviest stakes in the world with a high school cast. (laughs) Right. And that's okay. You know, I mean, the stakes in this film were never really that high, if you think about it. I mean, yeah. I mean, one guy, one person I know of got killed. Uh, yes, if the villain succeeds, there would be some problems. But it's not like the world's about to blow up. It's not like there's like an entire school held uh, uh, with guns to their heads waiting for the superhero to save there them. There is a giant tanker that gets split into that's going to fall into the ocean or whatever. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's, there's some things that started to build it. up. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. There was that. Element. But in general, I know it's, I know compared to the other films. Compared, it's like, I didn't yeah. feel like the stakes of the world were on this one movie. This is a much smaller film, which sure. was kind of nice. So I, I will you. say, yeah, overall I had a fun time with it. I thought it was great. I did think there was some really great moments. It could have been really, really, really good if it hadn't been for some things that I'll get to in a little bit. Okay. So anyway, Chris, I'm really anxious to hear your thoughts because you, well, you, you tend to suffer from the superhero burnout quicker I than I do. And even when we <laughs> talked about true. Spider-Man Homecoming, I think every time I mentioned it, I, just, I saw a visible either eye roll or ex- exhale because you're thinking, oh, my God, here we go again. It's another Spider-Man movie with another person right. playing the lead role. So I'm really anxious to hear your thoughts. Well, 
there again, it kind of helps because I go in with such low expectations mm-hmm. um, for Spider. Because you know, I'm the opposite of you. Batman was my person, so yes. I go into all those movies with really high expectations. So Spider Man, eh, I'm kind of you know lukewarm on. Don't really care. Wasn't looking forward to this one at all. But I have to say, I think it is probably of the Spider Man franchise, maybe my favorite. Really? Um, cool. And I think the reasoning is, I feel like, even though not as big aficionado as far as like detail oriented about mm-hmm. Peter Parker versus Spider-Man, but I agree. I think Tom Holland did a really good job. Yes. Not being so familiar with the source material, but familiar enough. I've seen all the movies. You probably <laughs> so. not being familiar with the source material. Actually, I think in this situation helps you enjoy the movie more probably. because they took a lot of liberties that rankle me as a fan. Mm, but if I wasn't a Spider-Man well, me, fan, I wouldn't care. Let me, let me hit, mm-hmm. um, let me hit some of my high points because okay. I bet yeah. I was able to enjoy them because I didn't know background. Um, sure. <laughs> because the next, after Tom Holland, my next big um, thing that I really liked about the movie was Michael Keaton is the vulture. Yeah, I agree. Um, he was really good. Really, really, really good. Um, fun anyway from the natural geek boy to see him have been a hero as Batman, come yeah. back and be a bad guy who actually has big wings again. Um, like, not like a bat, but like a bird. Um, and after he was in Birdman, so it's kind of like winking for him oh, to it's be very, the vulture. It's a very meta type of role to play. But he, he just played it so perfectly. And his range is you know great anyway, but even within this movie, he plays a bad guy um, who is you know very in people's face and very rough, but then he also has a chance to show a softer <laughs> side. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some things about this movie that I do not want to spoil because I was completely not expecting them to happen. Um, they you. did, and um, it was amazing when they did. I will... Um, I, I, so, let me just key off of this because I, sure. I do want to mention this as well while you're while you're talking about it. I'll admit the first half of the film, I I was a little disappointed in Michael Keaton because I'm like he's not on the screen that much. Honestly, mm-hmm. I felt like he was still playing Michael Keaton like a really toned down Beetlejuice kind of just a little manic, huh. but a little, but you know not a whole lot going on. When it got to what you were talking about, there's a kind of a, a change, there's a twist, there's a, a something that you learn. When that happens, and the scenes that immediately follow that <laughs> are some of the best scenes I've seen in a superhero movie oh, in yeah. quite a while. Absolutely. And it made the villain role so perfect for me the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah. So if it hadn't got to that point, I could, would have come out with a very muted expect, uh, muted opinion of his performance. But okay. that, all I will say is the car ride scene yes. is phenomenal phenomenal there's a car and ride scene and also some of the concluding scenes <laughs> of the movie of with the vulture um some stuff that it just it seems not being really familiar with the background material it just all seems to be weaving things together but not in an irritating way for me yeah. and setting up obviously sequels and things like that but there again not in an overly irritating way in no. a very interesting way well you got to you got to sure. understand this is a world building film they are sure. building out a world i mean it's a comic book movie that's what they're going to do i thought they did it in a fairly subtle way to where it didn't beat you over the head with it it had an ending yeah. to the movie mm-hmm. it did open up some doors of where the movie could go in the future like other sequels but it didn't you weren't just left knowing that it was like so perfectly set up sequel there was the one credit scene midway through the credits that did kind of set a little bit of some groundwork of maybe where they're going, but it wasn't bad. I thought it was very muted the way they handled it. So I agree with you on that. So please continue. What else did you like? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, those were things that I liked. Um, And like you were saying, the, I know enough about the vulture 
that I knew that, you know, he, he was obviously, he flew and he had in the comics, I'd at least seen the character and he had this big like ruffle around his mm-hmm. neck and it was kind of like a bird, you know, yeah. so, so that's one of the things that I liked about this movie, even though I'm not familiar, totally familiar, I can totally geek out like you could, but they kept <laughs> enough details, but they kind of did a Christopher Nolan type thing where the details were there, but they made them more realistic. Yeah. So instead of this being more like practical. a, a yeah. ruffle of feathers around this, yeah. like he was turning into a bird. No, it was just this jacket that he would often wear when he was flying his ultra that had kind of a white puffy collar. It was a bummer it, jacket. And it, it, bummer it, it fit with the, the motif of what he was doing. And so yeah. it, it worked. Yeah. Um, not being overly familiar, although you've talked about it on past episodes, when we've talked about Spider-Man, um, he was the main villain. But in this film, there were subtle mm. other villains, but they didn't stick it in your face like they did with the second Andrew Garfield movie where there were all these big villains all with these crazy superpowers and it was distracting um, I don't know the character's name but I think he's supposed to be the tinkerer or yes, whatever you have the he tinkerer. was helping all I know is he's a cow from Orange is the New Black that's but, correct he is <laughs> so and actually another person from Orange is the New Black made a cameo in this movie as well yes kind of crazy um, but so he was there and he helped out the vulture, but it wasn't in your face and it wasn't irritating. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, you know, when you put up a movie poster of the villains, there's one villain, right? These other guys are all like part of his crew and they may have like some gadgets or things. And you know that they're becoming certain parts of his crew, but they never compete for the villain time. Like as much as, you know, other Which, films have done in the past. Yeah, and They so. just never seem to have the patience for that. Yeah. I know that there's a villain in Spider-Man called Shocker or The Shocker or something. And here it's funny because they have <laughs> two characters kind of trying to do that. Like one does it, but doesn't do it very successfully. And then another guy kind of takes it. Has to take over his so role. <laughs> so. That was, you know, I just thought that was really clever stuff. Yeah. But still in service of the overall movie, never distracting from the vulture, Michael Keaton, and never taking the story completely away yeah. from spider-man peter parker being in high school like i thought all those Agreed. things really wove together really well and I, like i say i think it was probably uh probably my favorite spider-man movie i do have two dislikes okay of all the things one of them i'm gonna make you guess because i think you'll be able to guess it the other one oh, i know what it is yeah <laughs> go, go ahead and tell me what it is uh is it the heavy reliance on tony stark iron man throughout the film interesting yeah okay that those are that's my second dislike the one that i didn't know if you would guess okay. or grasp no the other one is god bless him i love him oh stanley yes yeah okay. i always complain about his cameos <sighs> of course he has a cameo in this and it's fine at first it's like set up He's an old person sticking his head out a window in an apartment building. Fine. And it's like, but no, do they let that just do it? No, they have to come back again. I'm like, come on. Why couldn't you just let it be? Why did you have to have him like utter more dialogue? I was just like groaning, groaning, groaning. But it is a minor nitpick. I think I'm the only person that really gets annoyed at Stanley Cam. I think you are. So, you know, I'm just just going to let you have that. But I got got nothing to say about it. I'm just going to let you take that. Now, the one that I'm surprised you actually picked up on, I understand the framing device of Tony Stark and happy. What's his last name? Happy Happy pants. Happy. (laughs) Happy. (laughs) This will be happy pants. Yes. His name is happy dance. Um, cheers to them for not changing his name and letting him stay happy Hogan. I mean, you know, hats off to you because, and for him to be able to stand there and, uh, what's his name? The actor's name. 
Oh, like John I, Favreau. Yeah, John Favreau. For him to be there, stand there and take being called happy all the time. Have like, it's a very 1960s name oh, that you, they came up with it's and they stuck like, with it. It's so. kind of like the Captain America Bucky thing. Which yeah, is like oh, Bucky. Terrible. And then uh, there's even uh, one of Captain America's crew is a Dum Dum Dugan. And oh. they actually kept, they keep, they kept really? Dum Dum in one of the Captain Dumb America Dumb movies. Yeah, I, didn't, so. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so bringing it back into um, Spider-Man Homecoming. Um <laughs> I liked the way the beginning of the movie was happening with kind of a video diary that tied in Civil War. That was nice. Because my wife, when we were sitting there before the movie started, she's like, I don't really remember like the whole thing where like where we're coming into this movie kind of when it started, I'm like, yeah, well just, it'll be okay. I'll explain it to you afterwards if you need it, you know, cause she's like, it's been a long time, but they totally took that concern. It was very creative. And actually they patched in, some of the event, like the very first Avengers movie, I think, if I'm thinking correct, because there's some fallout from that that helps Michael keep. Well, that's in the pre before the movie. Actually, the very first scene is you get a little bit of understanding of Michael Keaton, Adrian right. Toomes, his his business was helping to clean up stuff after the Avengers big fight in the first Avengers right, movie right, right, several right. years ago. It was like right. eight years ago. Right. So and yeah, so it really kind of helped set the framework for it. And then you went to the video diary. Peter Parker was videotaping the whole time. He was in Germany with the whole Civil War battle where we first introduced it. Right. So it kind of it did it. It was, it was a, a really creative way of getting you up to speed. With it, it was. It mm-hmm. was wonderful, and it it just man, I really really appreciated it. And you know, for this to be kind of like the first Spider-Man movie, they don't fall into the trappings of a typical reboot. Yeah, like you know, no origin. Even Andrew Garfield, that first movie he was in, you know, they kind of did the whole origin thing again, just because they feel like they have to. But with this one, they didn't bother. Yeah, you know, you do see him kind of doing a little bit of suit stuff. You know, as far as like the, you know, the intricacies of his suit. But that's basically it. And yeah. you don't. I really. I really like that. But yeah, the, the, so I understood the happy Hogan, <laughs> happy pants and Tony Stark thing in the beginning. Happy feet. I understand it at the end, but I don't, I didn't sit there and count them, but it got to be every time they showed up, I kind of rolled my eyes and shrugged because I was sick of seeing them. It's like, yeah. let, let Tom Holland do his thing. Don't yeah. keep that. So let's say they appeared in there six times. Mm-hmm. I wish it would have been more like, Three times yeah. or something. Just I'm with half you on that. as many Happy Hogan and there were one or two Tony instances Stark. where, and that's and that's part of my beef with the film from a geek perspective, hmm. a big fan perspective. Spider-Man's a loner. I mean, uh, he his very first issue of his uh, back in 1963, he's trying to become part of the Fantastic Four because he just got his powers. He's so like, not the Avengers, but the Fantastic that's right. Four. He's like, I'm going to be a part of the Fantastic Four. They've got to let me in because I'm like superpowered now and all. And they basically tell him no. And he's like, well, forget you guys. And he basically says, I'm just going to be a loner. And he is a loner for a huge part of his career. So this whole idea that this first movie with this new version of him, he's so reliant and so dependent on Iron Man and the Avengers and all that. I I didn't care for that from a story standpoint. And the fact that Tony Stark was brought in so frequently helped keep reinforcing that idea. Now. So it's interesting. I love the way you it, didn't like it as a fan because you knew background. Yeah. I didn't like it just because I was irritated with the fact that I will say I thought the way they ended the film, if that was the only scene that Tony Stark was in and it ended in that way, perfect. Because it's, it's like about the it, press conference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it sets the scene up. It, be, yeah. it it creates the Spider-Man character at the very end of the film that we will, I want to see. Right. So I'm happy. I'm thinking Knock on wood, hoping that maybe what they do is say, okay, that first movie, we really got to tie him into this whole Marvel Universe thing. But now that we've got him established, let's let him go do his stuff. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of how the movie was 
kind of framing it at the end. Seemingly. I hope that's where they go. I hope it doesn't become, you know, the next movie is now it's him and Captain America's in every other scene. And, they, you know, I want him to do his own stuff and have his own adventures. And I hope that's where they're setting it up for. Agreed. But I agree with you. The, the Iron Man over-reliance was a little heavy for me. Okay. Do you have any other dislikes? No, those are the... It was, that was it. It was Stanley's cameos and... Uh, Let me just... Two happy. two things. I don't want to sure. go on drone too long. The two things that were issues for me. Okay. One, I just didn't think the action scenes were very well directed. Hmm. I like the fact that they were smaller in scope. They weren't this gigantic, overdone CGI mess like a lot of semi-superhero films. But as I look back on every action scene, I just didn't feel like they were as exciting as they could be. Especially the last one, the the fight on a jet and the jet, it hmm. it just wasn't. It just didn't grab me, you know. Um, I, I think I think there was an opportunity to make those action scenes much stronger and much much more impactful and emotional. And it just I never felt that. I almost felt like okay, we're in an action scene and it's kind of on autopilot until the action scene's done. Hmm. That's the way I felt about. There really weren't that many action scenes. It was not a overdone action movie, which is nice. Mm-hmm. It had a lot more character development. It had a lot more dialogue. Um, but the action scenes themselves, I don't know if John, is it John Watts? It is. Yeah. John, yeah. John Watts. I, I don't know if he's quite got the handle on a big, big spectacle action scene yet. Hmm. So that's my one. I think it was also compounded by the fact, and this has nothing to do with Spider-Man Homecoming, Sorry, I'm having to bring it into this review. This is all about our local multiplex. I understand <laughs> that bulbs are expensive oh. and you want to run bulbs as long as you possibly was it can. Dim? Your oh, it was dim. dim. Hmm. It was to the point where that final whole fight scene, I could barely make it out half the time what was going on. Wow. And it's just, I'm sorry, if you run a theater, I know bulbs are expensive. I know you don't want to blow them out quicker and you turn down the brightness to save them longer, but it sucks to watch a film and the bulb is dim. I could tell the very second the film started, I'm like, I leaned over to Nick, my son. I'm like, okay, the bulb's dim. This is really, I hope there's no dark scenes in the movie. Hmm. Sure enough, the final fight was in a dark scene and it was really hard to see. Hmm. So that may have impacted my ability to enjoy the action scenes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. The other thing I'll say, and this is the geek side coming out. um, I am all for, I love the fact that they played it kind of loose with his true origins. They played it loose with the comic series. I mean, they really kind of wanted to create their own version here. Now I'm all for that. I have no issue with it, but to just randomly throw in classic characters names and attach them to people that have absolutely nothing in common with that classic character it's kind of ridiculous and just more. It's almost Without like trying to spoil anything. Are you talking about love interests? No, no, actually Liz, Liz, um, is a character from the comics Okay, and she's fine because okay. she's basically just somebody that Peter pines for early in his, his career at high school. It's fine. Okay. So she was fine and I thought she was really good. I liked watching her on screen. Okay. Ned, his friend, Ned. Oh Yeah. Which is great. I like the character. Yeah, He's a lot of fun. So it was I. actually a good move to have Spider-Man with a confidant because we have never had yeah, that before. I thought that was cool. It gives him somebody to bounce things off of and all that. But, His name is Ned Leeds. Ned Leeds in the comics could not be any more different a character, but they just wanted to grab a name that people would recognize from the comics and throw it on a completely different character. Ned Leeds in the comics, he was a newspaper reporter okay. who was a little older than Peter. 
He actually married Betty Brant, who worked at the newspaper. He eventually became the Hobgoblin, which is a villain. I mean, it's a completely different character. They actually pulled this guy, their Ned, from another version of Spider-Man comics where Spider-Man does have a best friend called Genki, who is... Genki. Genki. G-A-N-K-E. So we could have had Happy and Genki. Yeah. And he looks just like Ned in the movie. I mean, spitting image. But... They didn't want to call him that. They wanted to call him Ned Leeds because Ned is a classic Spider-Man name. I'm like, I, that type of stuff is just, it's almost like overdone fan service. It's like, we just want to throw these names in. No rhyme or reason to it. Let's just give them these random names. Okay. I don't care for that. I think that's really, I think that was really dumb. So again, that's my little geek nit, nitpick on it. The last thing I'll say is I like the fact that they did not do a full origin in this movie. Yes. I agree, I agree. with you on that. However, Uh-oh. Spider-Man is Spider-Man because of Uncle Ben. We should know that that's still in the background. And he even refers to it at one point. He's like, my aunt's had a really rough couple of years. And I think we're supposed to assume that that's because her husband was killed. And right. Spider-Man was somewhat responsible for that. That's the origin story. So you have a classic moment in this movie where Spider-Man is having to overcome a very difficult situation. He's, he's strenuous, like physically having to crawl out of a situation that's a very, you know, it, it, I'm not trying to spoil too much. It's just his moment of having to find this inner strength to get out of this situation. In the comics, that moment is a very classic moment. Like back from 19, late 60s. Like very classic moment of him under all this heavy machinery and basically like someone's going to die if he does not get out. And he's really one of the first times he's ever challenged and he's trying to find this strength in his uncle Ben and his family that kind of mentally are what drive him to, to do this, to get out of it. Okay. In this movie, it's Tony Stark. <laughs> Tony Stark is the voice in his head that encourages him to get out. I get that they don't want to rehash the origin. I get, and I'm fine with that. You don't have to, but everybody who knows Spider-Man ought to know that there is an uncle Ben who died. And that's the reason he is the character. He is. They never make one mention of it. And the one moment that they could have pulled in a quick little 10 second little visual to let us know that he's, that's what's driving him. They go with Tony Stark. Tony Stark becomes his driving force to, to overcome adversity that as a fan, I didn't like that. Hmm. Now, okay. you as not a super fan didn't bother me. Didn't bother you, and I. But I mean, I can say I'm I've all fine with that. One less Tony Stark reference, yes. Yeah. But I, I you know, defending defending uh, the film, I'm kind of glad that they didn't stop because that I, that would have been an extra thirty minutes of the film because no, just no, no. throw they a little face in there. They're like, who the heck's that? Oh, we like, could have had a, such a quick moment. There was one oh, moment man. where where his friend Ned was asking him like. How'd you get the powers? What happened? And they're just walking on the street. It could have been, okay, yeah, so this happened, and I didn't save my Uncle Ben, and now I want to do right by his, his, you know, by this. Anybody who's ever seen any of the other movies is like, yep, I got it. I remember all that. And then you could have had that one quick moment where he's like really <laughs> needing to overcome this obstacle and say, hey, maybe just like a little quick little like flashback scene of like a guy that now we know is Uncle Ben just to drive him. That's it. You don't have to go through the whole origin. I don't need 20 minutes of it. I need like one or two lines of dialogue. Remind us he's there. Remind us he was a part of his <laughs> life. And that's how he's Spider-Man now. Okay. So that's me. And again, like I said, I preface that saying this is my geek sure. criticism. Okay. Um, all right. Understand. 
Man, <laughs> I, 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 I've gotten my geek out for the weekend, so I shouldn't have to see or read anything superhero related the rest of the weekend. Um, overall, though, I, I enjoyed the, fun, the film. It was a lot of fun. It was a really good movie. It's my second favorite, possibly tied for my first favorite Spider-Man movie. Um, I still like that first Andrew, Andrew Garfield, Garfield one. But the lizard is the bad guy. Yeah. I still yeah. just like what they did with some of the choices in there. Yeah. I like the way they handled the origin. I, like, I just liked a lot of the, the, the beats of the movie. Sure. Um, now, I haven't seen it in a while. If I go back and watch it again, maybe Homecoming will be better. I don't know. But um, Homecoming is a fun movie. It's a, it's a really good movie. And it's a great promising start for where they're going to go with this character now. If you'd asked me at the beginning of the summer, were we going to have not one, but two pretty good superhero movies that have been like no way maybe we'll have one but definitely not two and we've got both wonder woman and spider-man absolutely couldn't agree with you more and i like guardians of the galaxy too i know you didn't care for it but i thought it was fine and fun so it's actually been a a decent summer for superhero movies as far as i'm concerned right now it's been pretty good they're they're trying to get them back on track and maybe find some different directions to go with them and not beat us over the head with the DC dour stuff that we've been dealing with <laughs> or Marvel's just so heavily interconnected films, you know, these, these are, these are putting some films on the right path. So I don't think it's fun. And I got to ask no spoiling, but what'd you think of the final after the credits scene? It was good. Um, yeah, it, I thought it was funny. It, it was, it was funny. So that's one of the main thing is, is it funny? And it, it kind of, it, it, it made sense. It was a clever, it was a clever tie in, to the rest of the film. Yes. Um, and I'll just say that it's, so. it's a, you know, it's a nice meta message about the whole post credit sequences. And, uh, and I really wish it could be the last one, but well, it would be a shame for them to do any more after that one, because right. it's kind of like they were almost saying, and we're done. Yeah, now. this is, we're done. <laughs> is, is it, is it true that, Every Marvel movie always has them because, as far as I know, I th- every I Marvel like movie has had something. Always have them, either midway or Guardians or Avengers yep. stuff. Or every whatever. movie, everyone has every them. movie. Started with the very first Iron Man movie. That was the first Marvel movie. Yeah, because Nick Fury shows up at the end of that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's still considered like by most as like the mother of all end credit sequences because that basically kicked off everything. Gotcha. So I think once they realized how much people ate that up, it's like, well, we'll just do that every movie. Yeah. I agree with, with like films like guardians and all, it got a little overdone when you have like four or five. Okay. That's too much. So I actually think this one at the end of Spider-Man was probably them saying, okay, yeah, maybe we need to cut this out. (laughs) That would be awesome. All right. Spider-Man homecoming. Uh, we're both giving it very positive reviews. Yeah. Chris sounds like he may actually be even a little more positive than me, which is pretty impressive. I think so. I would not have expected that on letterbox to see who likes it more. Would not have expected it, but no, I'm, I definitely liked it. And I'm very encouraged by where they're going with the character right now. So great. Okay, let's move on to something that doesn't require me to act like a complete geek <laughs> and uh, science fiction superhero nerd, okay? Okay. Let's talk about a film starring Richard Gere. The film is Norman, the rise, moderate rise and tragic fall of a New York fixer. Good morning, Bill. Norman Oppenheimer. I have to leave. This is unacceptable. So I'll tell my partners that we had a good conversation. May I ask? What you do for a living. What do you need? I'll help you get it. Can you explain to me how your business works? I'm curious. If you ever need anything, feel free to call. You're like a, a drowning man trying to wave at an ocean liner. But I'm a good swimmer. 
Yeah, don't forget that. Chris, the film Norman, the moderate, moderate rise and tragic fall of a New York fixer. I'll never memorize that, so I have to keep reading it off the screen. Sure. Fair. Basically, Norman. Let's just going to call it Norman from here on out. Okay. Uh, Richard Gere stars as Norman Oppenheimer. He is a he is kind of called what's called an operator or a fixer. He is a his whole work involves getting people connected and helping people get what they need from other people. Right. Um, we get introduced to him pretty quickly. Richard Gere is pretty prominent in just about every scene of this film. Uh, we learn who Richard or who uh, Norman Oppenheimer is pretty quickly in the film. We know we learn what people think of him. Mm-hmm. But as the story progresses, he befriends a young politician who's at a very low point in his life. And then we follow what happens several years later because of a friendship that did emerge between Norman and this politician, where the politician's career goes and how it affects Norman's career to the point where they find themselves in a situation because of this relationship they've had causing some issues and causing some, some dramatic decisions to be made. So Norman's life is dramatically changed for better and for worse throughout the course of the film because of the relationships he founded. Chris, this is Richard Gere, basically his performance. The, I mean, it, it, the movie lives or dies by how Richard Gere pulls off a performance like Norman Oppenheimer. Sure. But then you've also got a very rich script. It's actually, I think, very detailed script. It's a very mature script, which is kind of nice to see every once in a while film that, you know, takes a story very seriously. And actually, you have to kind of think about it and you actually have to follow it. You have to know where it's going. Right. And we have a director and a writer here, Joseph Cedar, who I'm not familiar with any of his other work. Um, I actually believe he might have done some documentary work before, if okay. I remember correctly. Um, Footnote was a film he did. I never saw Footnote. I heard of Footnote, but haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, he did a documentary, Sharon Amrani, Remember His Name, back in 2010. Footnote with 2011. And now we have Norman, 2016. So not a very prominent filmmaker, one that, that's crossed our radar much. Chris, with this being a fairly heady film, and by that I mean it's not action, it's not even really tense in any many, many, too many points. It's really all dialogue driven, and you're just following two, three key characters through through several periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, did this movie engage you enough, even with its deliberate slower style and the more dialogue heavy plot and story? Did the movie keep you engaged? To the very end. You know, um, interesting question. Good way to kind of enter discussion about this movie. I would say the answer is yes, just enough. Yeah. Um, (laughs) This movie is a lot of dialogue. Yeah. And it's not fast paced. It is also broken up into at least, I think, four acts. I think it's four acts. Where Mm -hmm. you see like, you know, black screen, white subtitles come out. So it has dividing lines or divisions in time. Um, So it does kind of feel more like a play in some instances. Mm -hmm. And Um, this actually could be a play. Like they could easily make this a play, I think. Yeah. Um, As far as I know, it's a totally original screenplay, totally original like idea. So not based on a play, but yeah, they could totally turn it into a play. Yeah. Um, Richard Gere was really good in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm kind of not the biggest Richard Gere fan, but I admit he's always been a, a great actor. But what I admired in this is it's very opposite the pretty woman role that he played. Oh, he's yes. not glamorous. 
He um, doesn't He's, always have his act together. He, in an interview, Richard Gere describes himself as a schlub well, in the movie. And I think that perfectly fits... He's a schlub. Yeah, <laughs> so. and, it's, it's refra- and that's not to say at some scenes he's not dressed in this really nice mm-hmm. suit and tie and walking around. It's not like he's just walking around in a T-shirt and shorts. I yeah. mean, but, but it's just as much personality as it is. body posture and mm-hmm. how he holds, you know, the way he you know, looks with his eyes and everything. Yeah, just I thought that was really well. I thought his performance was good and helps anchor the film because he's one of the people doing a lot of the talking. Um, but I think... And I was fine with the direction. I think it comes down to the script for me seemed very choppy Mm -hmm. and sometimes maybe deliberately so, so that you didn't figure out certain things or it tried to, it tried to be too creative maybe for its own good, but it ended up to me just being kind of choppy. Um, and some of the, cause you have to pay attention to some of the things he says and some of the connections that he makes and how those kind of come back around later in the film. Um, but overall, I mean, I liked it. It was, it was a very interesting way to tell this type of story. Mm -hmm. Um, the preview that you may have heard, hopefully you heard a little bit of the audio before we went into this review. Um, unfortunately I did see it before the movie. Mm -hmm. So I was expecting a completely different type of movie. Yeah. Um, You know, kind of like a oceans 11 type, not screwball comedy, but Definitely expected to be lighter. Kind of yes. this guy keeps on um, getting in, digging himself a hole because he makes all these connections yeah, and he has no, to keep telling lies and try to. In the first hour of the, of the movie, I think the first half hour, I think they tried to build that kind of personality to it a little bit, but it really dropped off of that right. throughout the film. And by the end of the film, yeah, it's definitely not a light film. No. And uh, I, I'm with you. I like the film. I like the story. The screenplay, I think, was rough. Okay. Okay. So the story itself, when I described the story to somebody, like my wife didn't get to see the movie, but I told her the story. And I realized if I tell the story, the story is really a good story. Mm -hmm. The screenplay, though, I think is what you were commenting on. The way that the story is being told is very choppy. And I'm going to take some issue with the direction a bit. Because I think the director wanted to do some creative, innovative things with the film. And he did. There were some scenes I thought for this kind of film were creatively done. Talking about how he shot the phone conversations, the phone conversations. And then he had one moment where the, you know, uh, Norman's character kind of goes into a, you don't know if it's a dreamlike phase, everything freezes around him and slow motion. And he's able to walk through and experience it in a different way. Well, see, that's some of the things that kept me barely well, interested in it because I, it helped keep me. My thing is that they were just so sporadic. Oh. That it just almost seemed like, hey, we need to do something kind of cool and creative here. So let's to drop wake this people moment up. in. Yeah. <laughs> well, it works. And that's why I felt like it was choppy and sporadic as well. I just didn't feel like it was a very consistent tone and theme to the movie. Mm-hmm. So at one point it was fantastical. Then it would go to a very dialogue heavy, very realistic for 30 minutes. And then now we throw in another two minutes of something a little more fantastical. Mm. It just, it was, it was choppy. It choppy is the best way to say it. Okay. Um, I do feel like there are some moments of dialogue that could have been used to help bridge some of the scenes better and make us understand the implications of what was happening. I feel like there was actually a really important part of the film that they made the creative conscious to skip over with a title card. And I could see the reasoning for one to do that, but I actually think skipping over that entire period of the film actually made the ending less impactful than it could have been. Hmm. Um, these two characters develop supposedly a much tighter bond and friendship than what we see just in the film. Right. But we don't really get to see it. 
So when these decisions are being made at the end of the film that are really hinging on this relationship they have, it didn't carry as much weight for me because I didn't feel like I'd ever really seen the relationship build out like everybody else is saying it is. Sure. Um, I really like the story. I really like Richard Gere's performance. I really like the performance of the, uh, the the gentleman who played the politician, his friend, who eventually becomes you know a, a higher official in Israel. I thought right. he was really good. Um, so the acting was all good. It was just I think the way they put this story together and decided to show it in a two hour film. There were just some some I think there were some gaps and I think there were some some missed missed opportunities to make it a more cohesive film. Yeah, it sounds like you and I are on the same page. Um, and the more you talk, you know, I was blaming just purely script slash screenplay, but the more you're talking about some of the decisions of how to transition between scenes and some of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I guess that's, that's a little bit of directing there that throwing a little shade on the director. I'll say acting wise, we've talked about Richard Gere. You mentioned, uh, Lior Ashkenazi who yeah. plays the other politician, mm-hmm. um, or plays the politician. Yeah. He's really good. Unknown to me. I, yeah, his face here. maybe looks a little familiar, but, yeah, but he's um, really otherwise good. unknown. But the other supporting cast in here, Michael Sheen, Charlotte yeah. Gainsbourg, Steve Buscemi, and kind of a weird cameo by Hank Azaria. Um, all really, all really strong, good strong stuff. work. Yeah, very, very, strong, very well good stuff. No, and actually, Michael Sheen kind of playing somebody who, I don't know, it was an interesting variation on some characters he's played in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, really enjoyed all the acting work. But yeah. It was a rich film. And I sure. say rich in that there was a lot to soak in. There was a lot of great performances to enjoy. It's just the pacing, the pacing really threw it off, I think, and the kind of sporadic nature of the film as well. I will say, though, I, I, and I said this in our, our discussion after the film last night. There is a phone conversation uh, late in the film towards the ending of this uh, kind of a ending resolution of this relationship. I thought it was really good. And it and was done kind of for lack of an or to try to explain it since we are not a video podcast. <laughs> it's kind of visually split screen. You see the characters that are in two different locations in the world, both on the phone, but they kind of split the screen down. there, And it's almost like they're looking at one. They're another, looking at one another. Yeah. And they're talking. Very effective, yeah. And at, you know, visually, I thought it was good. And at that point, like you're saying in the conversation, it wasn't just a trick. You know, some of the other ones you felt like kind of were, yeah. But this one, like this it was one, very you needed effective. to see them looking like they're looking at each other instead of cutting back and forth between yeah. shots. Have them on the screen. I agree. Something else I thought was an interesting decision, and I don't know if this is script or screenplay or director, but I thought it was an interesting choice to make. The first conversation that happens between. Richard Gere's character and uh, Ashkenazi, the politician, you see them, you see him kind of like tracking him down. You can tell that he's going to try to make this connection. You can tell he's going to, you know, try to get something over on him. And when they finally do meet, it takes place (laughs) outside. You are inside a shop. They are outside looking through a Mm -hmm. shop window and you do not hear anything they're saying. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting choice and well done. Well, we had already met Norman. We knew how his conversations how went with works. people. Right. So I think it was really easy at that point for us to start filling in probably what was happening in the conversation. Sure. And then by the time they actually walked in the store and you heard their audio, you're like, yeah, that's pretty much where I expected we were going to be at this point. So, <laughs> so I thought that was, that was a good instance of no, bridging. That was, that, was, that was fine. That was, not, that, that was not a stylistic decision necessarily. That was a... That was to help a certain element of the story. Sure. You didn't need to hear their dialogue. You yeah. just need to know what kind of person Norman was. Yeah. It was just it was an interesting film. I guess I'm probably a little more critical on this film than, you know, looking at a film like, like Spider-Man. Okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not as critical of a film like Spider-Man about 
the the some of the pacing and some of the decisions on style and choice because you know, it's more of a spectacle film. For this sure. is not a spectacle film, and I think I don't want to be unfair to it, but I think it's a lot easier for us to go really deep into just what exactly didn't work as well as it could have in a film like this. Right. So I'm probably being a little more detail oriented and and focused on the criticism of this film, but I really think it's because it's such a I think it's such a great story. I wish it had been told a little better. The potential, and there again, even if they, you know, the the preview, the trailer, set it up, A, to be kind of more lighthearted, kind of a comedy, but B, I thought you would get a little more understanding of, you knew what kind of operation he was doing, but kind of the intricacies and kind of seeing his mind work and kind of seeing all this stuff happen to appreciate it, and that may have made it more exciting or yeah. more like a thriller or something. Yeah. Whereas neither one of those happened. And so that was made it kind of tough. Well, and I just have to say, you know, this is very just more, uh, uh, it's a criticism that's very specific. But there's a moment in the film, it's about halfway through the film. Okay. Uh, Norman's riding in a, in a taxi cab after a very exciting event he oh, just attended. Yeah. And there's a sequence of the floating heads talking to him, kind of to give a passage of time of all these conversations. Went on way too well, long. Well, A, it wasn't really effective because I couldn't really quite make out what everybody was saying and what they were trying to express. And that seemed like it went on for five minutes. Oh, yes. It was Completely brutal agree. to go through. That probably, at that point in the film, I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's losing me. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't catch me back up until like the last 20 minutes. I thought the last 20 minutes of this film were really good. Actually, when he goes to meet with Charlotte Gainsbourg at the consulate's office Mm -hmm. and they have their conversation, that's when the movie got me back in and reeled me back in like, oh, okay, I see where this is going now. And I like where it's heading. I'm now interested again to find out how it's going to end. There was a good gap of 30, 40 minutes in the middle that I'm just like, I don't know. The film's kind of losing me at this point. I'm not really that interested in it. So I'm right there with you. Okay. All right. What's Norman? I I do think it's worth seeing because I do think it's a really good performance. I think all the performances are really good. Um, It's just, it is a, it is a choppy movie. It's not a, it's not a really solid movie. It has, I think great setup and I think it has a wonderful last 20 minutes. And I think there are great moments in between I just wish the whole movie was a more complete movie. Well, I think we'd both be remiss if we didn't kind of throw out there. Um, obviously, this movie does deal with politics because one of the guys is a politician. <laughs> and there are interesting repercussions that come about. I mean, this film was made a while ago and just got released in uh, April of 2017 this year. So it's been out for a while, but just it's very <laughs> interesting commentary on politics and how machinations of how they work and things that are said it kind of has interesting ripple effects to things that are going on in politics uh, it was very Trump. interesting timing yes the when States, the uh, so. the movie came when the, we saw the movie last night very interesting after news that had been kind of going through this past week so mm-hmm. as soon as i was watching the film and a couple references to a certain country references to having meetings and exchanging favors i'm like oh boy <laughs> this is timely so all right, <laughs> right. Okay, well, that's Norman, the moderate rise and tragic fall of a New York fixer. Um, it is in some select theaters. I don't, you know, it won't be going wide, so you may have to kind of wait to see it uh, when it comes online in the next couple months. I, I think it's worth watching. I think it's worth seeing. You know, um, I, I definitely think it's worth talking about. So anyway. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. And Chris, when we come back, we're just going to hit a couple movie news items and then finish up with our recommendations of the episode. So everybody stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. 
We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. TheMesh.TV is a podcast network where you can find this show and other shows as well, all for free. What a country. That's right. Hooray. <laughs> all for free. Yay for free. <laughs> uh, you go to TheMesh.TV, and by going to that website, you can find all the shows that are available. They're in podcast form, which means you do have the option of playing them right there on the website, or to make it true podcasty you can actually subscribe to the podcast. And by doing that, it means that every time we put out a new episode of this show, you get it delivered to your device of choice, almost like your little personal internet DVR for content. And we encourage you to go check out not only our back episodes, but also other shows on the mesh.tv network as well. Chris, just because I don't want us to wait and mention this at the end of the show, okay. I do want to let everybody know, and as I'm sure you echo my sentiments, we do have our third annual Foot Candle Film Festival coming up September 22nd through the 24th, 2017. It's the 2017 edition of our festival, third year. We're terribly excited. Yes. And I think I'm safe in saying by the time you're listening to this episode, you should be able to go to footcandlefilmfestival.com, see a schedule, see the films, and buy tickets. Oh, I don't know about the I don't know about the buy tickets thing. You'll definitely be able to see a schedule. Um, okay, well, you can see a schedule, but you'll be able to buy tickets probably by the end of Pretty, July, depending on when you're listening. Oh yeah, to this yeah you're episode. right. You're right. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> end of July. Okay, go to the website now as you're listening. Right. If you see there's an opportunity to buy tickets, buy tickets. <laughs> if it doesn't say buy tickets, just book bookmark it. <laughs> Come back in like a week or two, and you should be able to buy tickets. There you go. All right, good. Okay, That's thank you for clarifying that for me. Um, my schedule is all messed up in my brain. But regardless, the Foot Candle Film Festival, we're looking at probably 30-some films that we'll be showing over the course of a three-day weekend. I believe the official count is 33 films. 33 films. Yes. Wow. Uh, between Friday morning and Saturday or Sunday afternoon that weekend here in Hickory, North Carolina. So if you've never been to Hickory, this is a great time to come and visit and check out what we have to offer. Uh, if you do travel into the area specifically for the film festival and you're going to be here, please drop us a note and let us know. We'd love to meet you and uh, welcome you to the area. Otherwise, if you are a member of our film society already, uh, obviously you're going to have opportunity to buy your tickets and we look forward to seeing you at the festival. Uh, so this should be a lot of fun. Guest, anybody's welcome. It's open to the public. You can buy tickets for individual films or get a pass for the entire weekend. So sure. that way you don't have to pick and choose. Right. That really is your best move, right? I mean, from a financial analyst standpoint, buy the pass then you just decide which films you want to come see. Some of our members last year actually stayed for every film. Absolutely. We did have people crazy. saw everything. Yep. We, like you're in the movie theater for 72 hours. It was awesome. Now Chris may and I have, may have done it out of solidarity. They figured if we had to be there, they were going to be there. <laughs> Chris and I in a movie theater for 72 hours. That's yeah. awesome. But you know, for some people it may be a little tough, but uh, it's a fun weekend and we have uh, several filmmakers traveling to the area to be here as well. So I do encourage you to go to the website, check out the films that we're showing. And if you're listening to this later on, you should be able to buy tickets as well. Correct. Awesome. Okay, Chris, just a couple quick news items. I don't have a lot of news to share this okay. episode. I'm just going to kind of hit a couple 
interesting projects that I'm curious some thoughts on. Um, there's a filmmaker. His name is Quentin. Uh, Quentin. Quentin. I think it's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So he supposedly has a new film he's working on. It seems like he's making a movie that takes place around the events of the Manson family murders. You're yeah. squinting. Your face is kind of creating this kind of painful look. <laughs> Are yeah. you worried about this? Yeah. Okay. You know, we've reviewed several of his films here on the show. Um, you can find them in our archive. Um, I like Quentin Tarantino as a filmmaker. I think he makes very interesting films. Hearing that he is going to, you know, make a film, the subject matters like, you know, the, the Manson family murders, specifically one of the ones he's going to do is the Sharon Tate murder. I just, I mean, it's very simple. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, that is my question. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. And it's not of, a why like in a threatening why. It's a why like truly proved to me why. why. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't, I mean, just the type of films I go after. I, I don't seek out um, crime movies, movies about especially true crime movies um, that are going to be dark in nature, which obviously this is going to be. Just, I can't imagine it would be light. No, it's just not something <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in. And, you know, the fact that I, if he was making a true a crime movie that was going to be dark, okay, but that's one thing. But his sensibilities, his over-the-top violence and all that kind of stuff, playing into something that is based on true life, I, I just, yeah, yeah, I, I just don't, you know, but I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I do admire him as a filmmaker. I like him as a filmmaker. I probably will see it, but sure. can I say that I'm looking forward to it? Absolutely not. Do I have reservations about it? Yes. But, you know, maybe this would be a film that he makes that is completely unlike any other film that he has ever made. Well, what if he made this film and there was not there were not examples of on-screen violence or blood at all. Mm-hmm. You know things are going on, but it's all about stylistic choices. Yeah, what like, if it's like a Zodiac? Right. You know, which, which Zodiac Fincher. is, uh, you know, mostly dialogue-driven, mostly, right. you know, ch- internal drama, not not looking at overt violence or anything. So. Right. So I, I kind of like, you know, that's my overall thing is, you know, why? Yeah. Kind of like, why is he doing this? But... I don't know. I'm going to take a contrary view to it. Okay. I actually am encouraged by this. And I'll tell really? you why. I'll tell you why. Because of three words. The Hateful Eight. That is a film when it was described as being his next project. I'm like, oh, yes. Perfect. This is Quentin Tarantino's like, this is exactly what he does best. Is this kind of setup and all these multiple characters. And it's going to be violent. And it's going to be all that. And I thought the movie was really bad. I, I just didn't like it at all. I, so I, it was almost I, like, you I know, think we did review that one on the did. show. That was one of my least favorite Quentin Tarantino oh, yes. movies. I didn't there care for it. There were some good parts in it, but overall, I just. It had a few good moments. A couple scenes I remember offhand I liked, but overall, I didn't care for the film. Right. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay. Never yeah. have wanted to revisit it, which. No, that's I a haven't bad either. Time. Now I'm at the point of, hey, you know what? Bring it on. See what you can do with this. I want to see if you can do something interesting with this this subject matter. Mm-hmm. He hasn't really he hasn't directed a film that's truly based on a real event, as far as I can tell. I mean, you know, right. I mean, Glorious Bastards had historical uh, reference, but see, that's, it was totally comfortable yeah. with that because it wasn't taking like. Oh, it was a completely revisionist view of right, of and you knew that going in. Maybe this is going to be a revisionist view of the Manson family murders. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Now, here's what I think is also a little interesting. So, okay. two things. 
One, uh, this is his, will be his ninth film. And How many did he say he was going to make? He was going to do 10. Okay. So 10 features and I'm out. That was what he said. So this is number nine. Um, that's something to keep in mind. Then two, there is another Charles Manson family murder movie being made oh, at the same time. Great. So are we going to have another situation like uh, when the Truman Capote film came out and you had Infamous and Capote, two films like it's kind of the same time, two different actors playing Truman Capote. Do you know who's directing Capote. the other one or anything about okay. All I know is Kate Bosworth is involved in it. Hmm. So uh, I have heard that. Yeah, there's um, been some casting for the team. Well, or, there's or, been or, discussions or. of actors. Nobody's signed on yet, I don't believe. Uh, Brad Pitt is supposedly being taught to be involved. Don't assume he's playing Charles Manson. Okay. I'm just saying he could be playing anything, but he's been talked to. Jennifer Lawrence has been talked to. Okay. And uh, then we also have um, Margot Robbie hmm. um, is considered to be playing Sharon Tate. Okay. Which I could see that. Yeah. Um, oh, and there's a gentleman. I don't know if he's ever worked with this guy before. Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> That's also hmm. possibly going to be playing a part. Do they work together much? I, I don't know. <laughs> huh. Just most of their films together. Right. Um, so anyway, yes. Samuel L. Jackson, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie and Jennifer Lawrence are the ones talked to right now about parts. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, just just very trepidatious. But. We'll see. I'm, hey, you know what? I'm hopeful. I, uh, I hope the Hateful Eight was one misfire. You know? Because really... He was really doing some great stuff for a while. I mean, I, I, Inglorious Bastards is still my absolute favorite of his film. I at um, the end of that, the line by uh, yeah. I think Brad he says, Pitt "I think this, this may be my, my masterpiece." masterpiece. Yeah, absolutely. I thought yeah, Kill Bill right before it was also really really good. Both volumes, and then I like Django Unchained. Yeah. So that was kind of the peak for me of Tarantino. It's like those were the pinnacle. I like Pulp Fiction and all, but I really love Kill Bill. Really loving Glorious Bastards, and I liked a whole lot Django Unchained. How about Jackie Brown? Uh, I need to go see it again. Yeah, I've recommended it, I think, on the show I know you have. Before, so, yeah. I need to see it again, I realize. Okay. But yeah, Hateful Eight was the first one for me to say, well, Death Proof I didn't like either. But I don't. I have a hard time really considering that a full one of his films. It was uh, like an experiment. Yeah, Hateful Eight was the one that just really let me down. Yeah, so, yeah. I understand. All right, one more thing let me mention, and okay. I can't believe I haven't asked you about this. Okay. Because we're actually only a couple weeks away from we, this film coming out. We didn't out. talk about Power Rangers because that's sacred. We didn't talk about. Well, I know you're such a big fan. And so we just I know you're like a like I am with Spider Man. You are with Power Rangers. Right. <laughs> right. Um, August fourth, The Dark Tower comes out. Chris, you are a. So it does. You read books. I do. You read Stephen King books. I do. You. I'm sure you read The Dark I, Tower. I have read all the Dark Tower. Books. But yet, this movie has not come up in our conversations. It's actually, I think, relatively speaking, getting very little buzz right now. So are you at all interested in seeing a a feature film adaptation of this book? I think I mentioned a long time ago when it was first like the Dark Tower is finally going to be. That was like probably like eight years ago. But they didn't have a director named. They didn't have. I don't think they had Idris Elba named as or Matthew McConaughey maybe. But I do remember like briefly talking about it. And I was kind of like, oh, that could be really good. I've always thought they should make a movie of that. Um. I'm a little worried. The yeah. reason, reason I'm worried is because um, the first poster that I saw was a really, really cool poster. It was basically like this. Ne- it had two buildings yeah. coming down from the top, but it was kind of like a negative space poster. Yeah, was, I know what you're talking about. It was really about. cool. Really yeah. cool poster. Really liked it. 
But then when I started seeing trailers, something about it just doesn't quite... It seems all kind of real concerned about effects yes, and stuff like that, which Stephen King's mo- Stephen King's stories are all about character development. And yeah, I mean, they have some pretty crazy things happening that you need effects for, such as going in between worlds and all this kind of stuff. But um, I- I'm, I'm just a little worried. And the fact that there hasn't been a lot of buzz other than the fact that, hey, this movie is finally getting made kind of worries me. I do like Idris Elba. I think it is interesting to have him play the gunslinger because um, I, I don't think the gunslinger was originally African-American. So that's mm-hmm. awesome that they cast him as that because mm-hmm. it's like, why does it matter? Um, and Matthew McConaughey, I think he could be very good in the part that he's in. He plays the bad guy. Yeah. But yeah, something about it. The, the effects are what kind of threw me as well. Now, granted, I've never read the books. Okay. I'm not a quote reader, unquote. Um, <laughs> if you do know how to read them. I do. I but if it's longer than a newspaper article or magazine article, I kind of check out. Sure. Um, but I know enough about what the story's about. And I've been anxious to see this adapted to film because this will actually give me a chance to follow the story. Sure. Uh, and I love the casting. I know Ron Howard was attached to direct it for a while. And I thought, well, that's not, that the, most, that's not the most inspired choice, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, when I saw the trailer, the trailer had a few interesting moments I liked. But here's the biggest thing I've read is the, the gateway, the doorway between the world's uh, – a lot of people are very upset that that just seems to be like way over. Like, cause it's, it's, it's symbolic of how the whole film's looking to be very CGI, very special effects driven when that really wasn't the intent of it in the books. It was a door I and mean, it was more of a passageway, but this mm. becomes like this big stargate looking thing, you know, between <laughs> there, which I think that's, that's, that's a sign for people like, okay, they're going to be really focusing on effects, which that's not what that should, this should be about. Right. So, yeah, it's it's concerning. I still will see it um, sure. because I I want to see it. Um, there's so much rich material there. I can't remember how many books. I think they're like seven books. Um, there are a lot of books for the Stephen King series. So it would be a shame if this is a one and done. Well, they're talking so, about the whole plan was, and this was back during the Ron Howard conversation. It was going to be a movie. Speaking of Ron Howard, what yeah. movie has is he been brought in to do recently? Solo. That's right. He's now. That was the last episode. We, we talked about, about all the Star okay. Wars drama and the uh, the two guys getting canned from the solo right. directing gig. Right. Ron Howard's been brought in to basically tidy up the movie, finish it up, film right. whatever's left. Right. So, okay. not a very inspired choice there either. I mean, you basically, I think you basically call Ron Howard when you just need a competent job done to finish out a movie. <laughs> you are being awfully rough on Opie. Awfully I just, rough. I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I think his movies are fine. I like Apollo 13. Oh, what else has he done? See, that's the thing. I, I, I know he's made like 50 films. A but Beautiful Minds, Cinderella Man. Yeah, uh, those are fine. Backdraft. <laughs> I actually liked Backdraft when okay. it came out as a kid. Okay. Um, okay. You know, he's got good movies. It's just they're never inspired movies. It's just I never walk away saying that was a really well-directed movie. Notice I didn't mention the Da Vinci Code movies. Oh, God, those are horrible. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, it's a mixed bag. Um, they are still playing on this being a combination movie series and TV companion. 
What? No, that was the plan all along. They were going to do like a series of movies, but also parts of the story were going to be continuing in more of a, a TV series. I've never understood mode. why they didn't do Dark Towers like in HBO. Like after yeah. Game of Thrones finishes, just do Dark Tower. Because to me, that seems like that would have made that sense. That probably would have made the better sense. Um, but they're saying... Gone, it could have gone on for years. The, ambition, the, the ambitious adaptation plan still call for a movie trilogy and a television companion. So they're saying the intention is to have Idris Elba reprise his role on television. The first episode of a show has already been written. We hope to retain Ron Howard's original idea to mix the platforms. Um, so we'll see. He said, if the movie is Roland uh, D- the Gunslinger, the show is his origin story based on the fourth novel of the series, Wizard and Glass. Right. I, yeah. So a I, movie trilogy, and then you got a TV series that explores the origin. I, I can see that. Okay. I agree with you, though. I mean, when you've got something that's serialized like this and it's a continuing story and it's rich and there's a lot of places to go, yeah, why not a Netflix or an HBO series type thing? Right. And the books are so detailed and, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I was curious about your thoughts because we hadn't really talked about it in a really long time. I am worried. <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough. Maybe it's another one will come out and actually have some surprise and it would be a good movie. Who knows? Yeah. Um, okay, Chris, let me ask you. Recommendation time. Yes. What film do you want to recommend to our lovely listeners that they check out to beat the heat this summer? (laughs) So I am going to recommend a documentary that is called American Anarchist. Hmm. Alan, do you or have you do you own or do have you ever heard of the book Anarchist Cookbook? Yes, I have. I don't own it, but I've heard of it. Did you ever have any friends who owned it? I'm sure I did. (laughs) So I own a copy, have it in my house. I got it as a joke gift in college. Mm -hmm. Um, So for those of you not familiar with what the Anarchist Cookbook is, it is one of the most infamous books ever written. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was written back in the 60s and 70s. The author, the guy who wrote it, he wrote it at 19. He Hmm. is now 65. Wow. Okay, so... This book, The Anarchist Cookbook, as you can maybe tell from the title, tells you things like how to make bombs, how to blow up bridges, um, all these really like kind of crazy things that um, just crazy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but he wrote it as kind of a response to the counterculture upheaval in the 1960s and early 70s. Um, so he then distanced himself from this book. Well, in the meantime, things like Columbine happened. Uh, Oklahoma City bombing happened, of which they found copies of this book in the, on these people's person uh, or at their right. house. I do recall. So all it that, has yes. a very complicated history. Um, hearing this guy talk about why he wrote the book, what he thinks about what has happened, his life now, what he does for a living now, it's very interesting. Hmm. Um, the interviewer of this movie is Charlie Siskel, the director, writer and director of this movie is Charlie Siskel. He was co-director on Finding Vivian Mayer. Okay, right. About the photography that that got nominated for an Oscar. Um, But he's just sole director and writer on this. Many people may not like this documentary because you can hear, you never see him on camera, but you can hear him asking questions. And he is very determined and very pointed about what he wants from William Powell, the mm-hmm. writer of the book, to right. say what he like. He grills him. He is very intense. But at no time did I ever feel like William Powell couldn't take it hmm. because he's a very okay. interesting individual, obviously an intellectual, obviously very intelligent. So I could see some people being turned off by this interviewer's style and that he's yeah. very 
you know, he's nagging, he's very intense mm. and it's like, he's just won't let go of things. But I think it's because it's very interesting subject material and he knows William Powell can come out and say what he wants to say. So it's, it's very interesting, can be very uncomfortable because of the subject matter for some people. Um, but I have to say, I found it, I found it interesting. It's also only an hour and 20 minutes long, so it's pretty short. So is it a fairly new? And it, is, it was made apparently in 2016, but just recently came out on uh, Netflix is where mm. I caught up with it. So you can get it on Netflix. Um, you may be able to get it through iTunes or on Amazon as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fairly new. So didn't I think maybe it was briefly in maybe a couple of theaters. Okay. But uh, American Anarchist, if you're interested at all in it, uh, I recommend you check it out. So. Cool. Okay. Well, I couldn't imagine going in a completely opposite, in more of an opposite direction with my recommendation. Okay. Um, so little background. I, I have all movies I own copies of. I have digitize in a nice digital server in my house so i can pull them up on any computer on my tv i can actually pull them up from here remotely and watch them remotely right so i'm just really proud of myself for having done this but what this also caused me to do over the last year is i get to kind of go back and watch some i get to watch moments of films yes that's what's really cool is that i don't have to go and say well do i have to commit myself to watching this movie again <laughs> that i remember i had like if it was on dvd and i gotta try to find the the spot in the mill the scene where it is right. i pretty much know okay this movie yeah let me just fast forward real quick on screen to 30 minutes in and this is great and i can watch this so there's a movie that the this total is how this is how we got the recommendation of stakeout i believe on it, it is <laughs> yeah i'm gone through all my movies so here here's another one okay we may have talked about this on the show years ago when it first came out i don't remember it's a 2008 film i don't remember did we cover 2008 uh Ooh, okay maybe well, i don't know well our show's been around for a while we've got tons of episodes but it may I'm have been sure. really early on okay um i ended up watching a huge part of tropic thunder again oh okay. I don't know if... Did we ever talk about this film? I, I don't know. I don't know if we reviewed it or not. I seem to remember us talking about it, but I don't okay. know if that was just in the hallway or we actually well, on a microphone. Go ahead and do, talk to it because a lot of people probably deserve to at least hear about well, it. Well, my thing is, you know, it. it was directed by Ben Stiller, who has kind of gotten a mixed bag reaction on different films he's made over the years, you know, both starring and his directing. He directed that Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which did not do very good. I saw it. Yeah. But yet, I watched Tropic Thunder... And even though the whole movie doesn't hold up, okay, it's not a start to finish, terribly enjoyable movie. Mm -hmm. But the first 20 minutes of the film and then selected moments throughout the film are comic gold. I'm sorry, but they are really, really funny. Uh, the whole opening 20 minutes when we're introduced to all these actors, the basically the premise of the film is it's actors, real actors playing actors. Mm -hmm. And those actors are being brought in to star in a very dramatic, very powerful film about Vietnam based on somebody's memoir. And these are very spoiled actors, most of them, or known for comedy or known for other things, to coming together to try to make a serious Vietnam film. So the movie is about the issues with them trying to make this Vietnam film. I, I would like to revisit Tropic Thunder. Oh, because I'm glad you're recommending it. It's because so good. The thing is, hearing all that, you like this seems like it is going to be the funniest movie ever. Expectations for that movie, I feel like were super, they super, were. super, super, super. They were, high. which there's is a probably lot of, unfair. There's a lot of talent involved. Yeah. Ben Stiller's directing. It just sounds like, how can this movie go wrong? And so I liked it, but I remember kind of like you're saying it, 
the first 20 minutes are amazing. It kind of falls off, but I think I need to revisit it. Yeah. It's still it, it, don't go in looking, don't go in watching it for the entire movie. Go in to watch certain moments. Cause that first 20, 30 minutes is classic. And I will say, I'm, I'm doing this on a couple of reasons. A, we talked about Tony Stark and, and Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yes. He has Robert a very... Downey's part in this is amazing. He has a very interesting role in this film. Yes, he does. Um, that he really just gets to cut loose. It's probably the, my favorite thing of his that he's done. Yeah, maybe mine too. And then another thing is Tom Cruise. I'm going to come back from talking about The Mummy a couple episodes ago. Tom Cruise is freaking hilarious in this film. They are completely playing against type, playing the one of the most vulgar, vulgar characters you can imagine. I don't like Tom Cruise. Yeah, I know you I don't. I actively kind of dislike him. Yeah. However, if I had to point to two of my... Two things. Oh, that, I know the two, two things films. that he does. Yeah, you you do. His role in this Tropic Thunder, and his role in Magnolia. Yeah, those two things. I'm like, okay, those were good things. I enjoyed that. So yeah, that's true. Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I I think those are the two films that Tom Cruise gets to act. You know, mm-hmm. and not just be Tom Cruise. I love his role in Magnolia. It's a close tie for me whether I like his role in Magnolia more than I like it in Top, Tropic Thunder. That's awesome. I, I can watch his scenes in Tropic Thunder and just be happy. I mean, oh, okay. he's so ridiculously obscene okay. and so playing against type. It's just so much fun to watch. Steve Coogan's in it, mm. plays a really good part. Um, Jack Black. He's not in it for very long, which is funny. <laughs> so, um, Jack Black's good. Um, man. It's just, it's a fun. I need to read it. Is it, you have it digitally. Do you know if it's available on Netflix? I don't. Okay. I don't. Um, that's the one thing I don't know, but I, I do know okay. it's, I enjoyed watching it again, watching moments of it. Um, again, watch the first 30, 40 minutes. You can fight fast forward through the middle half hour or 45 <laughs> minutes and then get to the end again. Cause I think the end kind of really buttons it up really nice. So, okay. uh, it's definitely a great meta movie on the idea of making movies with, ridiculous actor characters. So, and they really, they really poke fun at actors, terribly, terribly, uh, poke at actors. And it's always kind of fun when you see actors making fun of themselves as actors. Cause that's really what all these characters are doing. So okay. topic thunder, it was fun to rewatch some of that the other day. So, okay. I think we're done. Chris, Spider-Man homecoming positive from both of us. Yes. Surprising. Yes, uh, surprising. I, I'm actually really happy. <laughs> so I'm very, I was really concerned. Maybe how you're me gonna come more in. positive than you on a Spider-Man. Maybe movie, a little bit. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, Norman with the Richard Gere, Gere film. We're both leaning positive. Yes. I think we can both say it's worth watching, yeah. but we wish it was better. Sure. There were a lot of opportunities to make that a stronger film. Absolutely. And then we had our news items and then we just did our recommendations. Years was American Antichrist. Is that the name of the doctor? Yeah. American Antichrist. Anarchist. Anarchist. Yes. Um, on the documentary side. And then I had Tropic Thunder from 2008 wow. um, that I wanted to bring back up, dredge back up and <laughs> have some people watch it. Oh, it's not for the kids. No, no. No, just in case you're curious, just because it has been stiller. This is not meet the parents or whatever. Yeah. This is very, very adult, but uh, very funny. Okay. So that's it. Uh, if you want to check out past episodes or make sure you subscribe to our show, go to themesh.tv or find us at Foot Candle Film Society, which is our our little community of film goers here in our area that we put together monthly screenings for our members and for the guests and the general public. 
And you can always find out what we're screening or what we're talking about at footcandle.org for that website. Chris, but if somebody didn't want to just read what we were doing, they actually wanted to talk to us. How do you recommend they do that? Communicate. Yes. Uh, you can drop us a line at info at the and just mention foot candle films in the subject line and let us know movies you want us to check out or movies you think we should reconsider if we're wrong about something or something you want to recommend that, uh, you know, we might want to watch in the future, whatever, just mm-hmm. contact us, talk to us. We'd love to hear from you there again. It's info at the TV. Alan has already mentioned the film festival, so don't have to bring that up. Um, but you know, obviously go film. Well, festival. You can mention it again. Right. I have no problem why, why with that. Not? Yeah. Also, Alan and I tend to try to touch base on letterbox every once in a while where we kind of keep a diary of films. I keep a log of the past recommendations from this show. So if you're curious, I used to, (laughs) So if you're curious about what movies I've recommended in the past, other than listening to back episodes, you can also just uh, go to letterboxd and kind of look at the list on that. I I do put in every film I watch on letterboxd. So if I watch it, it's on letterboxd. I don't write. Unfortunately, Uh, again, I wish I did. I should be writing. Uh, I don't write and I don't read. (laughs) That's basically what you've learned about me in this episode. Um, But at least I do know how to click a button saying I saw this movie tonight. So you can at least find out what I'm watching. But I always love it when people make comments or have questions about films. Uh, We love talking about them. So, okay, great. We're going to wrap it up. Chris, as always, thanks, man. No problem. Good seeing you. So thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.